This is Bragging Rights, a show all about college football, where the conversations are lively, the topics are trivial, and the hosts are semi-knowledgeable. And now, here are your hosts, Madison and Pierce. Welcome into another edition of Bragging Rights. Week one is in the books. We had Honest to God Football. What a fun Fun weekend it was, as evidenced by my lack of a voice here today. A lot better than it was yesterday, I will say. But uh, still struggling a little bit, still getting it back to full uh, full volume, if you will. We do have one more game tonight when you're hearing this. Super excited to see what's happening. Hopefully it's as good as this weekend has been, uh, particularly what came down on Sunday night. Before we get into all of the goodies of breaking down the good, the bad, and the ugly of week one, I need to introduce my co-host. I'm Madison. I'm joined as always by my brother Pierce. Pierce, how are you? Man, I'm not as bad as you. Uh, you sound you sound rough as as usual. Um, always can tell when you've been to the game in person because you come back and that first recap pot is uh is is challenging. So uh, I'm doing well. I, man, it was such a fun weekend of football. And 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 I, you know, I was thinking about it this morning. This weekend is maybe the sneaky one it, when you get some good matchups it can sneaky be the best weekend of the year it's set up very similar to feast week uh you know over thanksgiving where there's four or five days of football and that's what we got we got the great kick- kickoff games on thursday um had two just really good bangers between west virginia pit and then went right into the penn state purdue game which came down to the last minute um so a great kickoff between those two games and it really just carried us right through and Golly, we're not even done. Um, we've got a we've got a game tonight, albeit I think it will be a crummier game than uh, than than some of the highlighted ones that we are going to hit on today. But just a great weekend overall. Had some good matchups. There was really only and I, and I, I'd love to get your opinion. I know you weren't sitting in front of the TV, but really the only dud from a TV viewing perspective was the two thirty slot. Um, you know, about halfway through the Georgia game, if you were tuned in the Arkansas Cincy game, that was a decent one. Um, it felt a little weird, though, because since he had the chances, but they just didn't have the guys this year. They're missing the quarterback. He went on to a decent statistical day. But, um, yeah, it just on every level this weekend hit. And uh, and, and again, it's it, it was a fantastic weekend of just nonstop football. Yeah, I obviously was at the the 3.30 Eastern time, 2.30 Central time. Uh, time slot game. So I was not sitting in front of the TV, but um, you know, if you didn't have a rooting interest in the Georgia Bulldogs, I'd imagine that you flipped off of that really freaking early uh, because it was, I mean, every single time Georgia had the ball, they scored and it was an absolute blowout from the get go. I'm trying to remember, I guess Cincinnati, Arkansas was at the same time. Was that a, was that a dud? This and final score didn't uh, so lead score it to wise was it wasn't a dud. That's that's not fair. If, if I said that, it's not fair for me to say it just, it wasn't uh, it wasn't a sexy game, if that makes any sense. Uh, you know, there were lulls where KJ Jefferson just wasn't really moving the ball down the field, throwing, and they couldn't really couldn't really get too much on the ground going. Uh, and you know, since he had every chance to really hang around there, I think they scored late um, to make it a seven point loss. Um, but yeah, you know, missed open receivers, missed opportunities from this particular the quarterback spot. Um, you know, I think would have made it a little bit more exciting. It just, it had that, that blah feel to it just because there wasn't any, it weren't a lot of huge plays, if that makes any sense, but um, good, good teams. I mean, I think that, that, that game actually was great. If you did tune in because you learned about both teams, you learned that Arkansas is probably who we thought they were. They look like a, 
you know, potentially an eight, nine win team. Um, surely got to find out who their go-to receiver is going to be uh, to, to, you know, Jaden Hazelwood did have a, a few catches. He's the replacement or they hope for Traylon Burks. And since he looks, looks really, I mean, they look really good again for, for a, a, a non power five conference team. They're certainly not as good as last year. It, really. It, it comes down to Desmond Ritter, the quarterback being gone. And, and, and I mm-hmm. think if they had somebody and, and I think, uh, I think their, their quarterback will mature throughout the season. Uh, but you know, first game he was really ironing out the kinks, and he missed some wide open guys that would have led to, to big potentially big drives, potentially touchdowns. So um, I say that it wasn't the prettiest of games, yet it was a closer game. So that was fun to see, uh, you know, some of the back and forth and the intensity of it. Okay, so so it sounds like it wasn't too big of a dud then at that time. So it sounds like uh, we had good games, had some great games in the early time slot with uh, you know the state of North Carolina in absolute disarray when it comes to their hierarchy of college football. Uh, and then in the nighttime slot, we had some great games as well. Um, you know, Notre Dame, Ohio State, I predicted a blowout. It wasn't a blowout. Um, was, was, you know, final score was indicative that it was a little bit lesser of a uh, competitive game. Um, and then, like we said, Sunday night, great game. Uh, and then hopefully tonight's a great game. So, so yeah, all around just a fantastic Weekend week one of football. Um, all right, well, let's just jump in. Uh, for those new here, uh, we're going to go through our goods, our bads, and uglies of the week. We each pick one in each of those categories. The people who, who just absolutely rose to the top, the people who turned in less than optimal performances, and the ones who should feel embarrassed about themselves when they show up to campus on Monday morning uh, or Tuesday, since it's Labor Day here. Um, and then we're going to go through our braggers of the week. Uh, our little pick em pool peers. I don't know if you've checked the scores. A big old congrats is owed to you. You came up out on top uh, of the Bragging Rights Pick'em Pool with 16 points. You went 16 and 5 on the weekend, tied with Jeff Prifty and uh, MK4004. So uh, shout out to those people there leading the way on the Pick'em Pool. I did uh, 17 and, or 14 and 7, I should say. Uh, so not, not not nothing to, to really – nothing too terrible there. Um, and then we've got some, we got some people down there at the bottom, but, uh, I do want to point out that, uh, our dear old dad did not do so well. He only went 11 and 10 on the weekend. So, but yeah, next time, old you man. know, I look at, I listen, I, I heard, I had not checked it. I heard that record, man. I wish I had just bet on all those games. Yeah. You would have made some money. This weekend if you had. <laughs> yeah. I didn't, I did not do too hot. I don't think in our, uh, our pick them that we did just here, uh, with our preview podcast, I think I went opposite on some of my picks. Um, and I know I didn't do well. We have a bigger one that we're a part of. Um, I don't even know who's in that pool, but I know that our, our family's in it and I did not do too hot in that one. So just about how we'd expect it to go for me. Just about, you know, mixed bag. Um, can't all right. win them all. Can't win them all. Um, and you can't legally bet down here in Georgia. So, you know, for all the, uh, people who are listening, I did not win any money. I actually did not but I'm, I'm better at NFL peers than I'm at college, which, uh, you know, some people are shocked to hear because I they think NFL is harder. I find NFL easier, but maybe that's me. Yeah, I think college is so such tough. a mixed bag. It, it's so tough. Yeah, you're right. It, it can be very volatile. Yet at the same time, I find it NFL can be more difficult because it, the the so I say it all the time. There will be away road favorites that'll go in and they'll be minus two, minus three, and that is a very sketchy spot to be in. But in the NFL, I almost look for those lines because I know that the games are so close talent level wise. And and yet I, I fall victim to those sucker lines all the time in the pros. Um, I, you know, you just in football, when you have so many games to choose from, 
ultimately there are going to be some lines that don't get the uh, don't get the attention that they deserve. And you can find if you can identify those, you can really make some uh, you can really get some advantages, uh, you know, on the lines, you know, not being maybe three points off because they're not get, bringing in the most money. So the the book's not really adjusted, not really messing with it all, all that much. And maybe they missed miss uh you know put the number a little bit off than what uh it, maybe it should be so but yeah nfl is tough it, it, it's just ebbs and flows ebbs and flows with everything absolutely all right well let's jump in here pierce let's talk about our good our bads and our downright uglies of the week i'll kick it off here with my good of the week i'm kind of gonna pivot a little bit i know prior to we were checking ours since you kind of did a deep dive just a second ago about arkansas i did think that that was a really good win from them uh you know they have one of the tougher schedules of college football and to come out and put a win against the team that made the playoffs last year i understand that they didn't look good once they made it to the playoffs but they were the 24th ranked team in the nation or 23rd ranked in the nation um and quite frankly uh arkansas was able to uh handle that at home and now have, can feel good about themselves as they look towards the rest of the season um but i'm also going to add in here miami and i know we didn't talk about this one and i don't have everything prepped for it but i look here at 70 to 13 i realize you're playing bethune cookman but but I when I look around the league at some of these teams with their first year head coaches who have a lot of work to do and were absolutely proven to have a lot of work to do. Mario Cristobal at least goes in. He's able to get uh, a lot of belief, a lot of momentum with his program. When you look at what happened around the ACC, Pierce, there's a lot of room for them to potentially jockey their way to the top. Um, I mean, you, NC State, who everyone's been high on, including myself, this offseason, they barely survived in East Carolina. Uh, and you got Clemson still yet to see what they're going to do fsu won last night but it was they didn't look good doing it uh so their side or, or they're not even on that side but but the 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 roadmap in the acc looks really suspect and if mario can continue to build i think that that uh, bodes really well for his first year hurricanes um you know and they got another week with southern miss before they start turning their attention to some really um you know uh, high caliber teams if he can keep that moving, if he can kind of keep clicking, I think that that was a really quality win for Miami in very um, impressive fashion, if you will. Uh, so 70 to 13 was the final score there. Um, and again, I didn't go any deep dive on any of the stats. You look like you might have something to add, but uh, from the from the uh, highlights I saw, Tyler Van Dyke looked great. Um, and they, they do have some ball players down there in South Florida, as we all knew. They just needed the right man to kind of rally them around the troops. Um, did you get to catch any of this one? You know, I didn't. They were playing Bethune Cookman, and it was, uh, you know, there was a some. There were, there were enough. What'd you say? A blowout. Yeah, a blowout. Seventy points is always a, a, a great one, a great outcome, especially your first week. Tyler Van Dyke, obviously, love him. I think he's a dark horse for the Heisman. He's going to put up a lot of big numbers. I remember last year when he came in, I felt like every I had to find ways to keep him off my braggers list. Because he was going for 350 plus, it seemed like every game, and it was a quiet 350 plus. So, um, I think certainly, uh, certainly we'll be tuning into them as they get into ACC play. I think they have A and M next week, which uh, or maybe then they go to college. Then A and M, okay. Week I'll three. be excited to see A and M week three to see if they are really ready to play in a, in, a, in a little higher class. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, I was I, I have question marks about their defense. Their defense, very much like Ohio State last year, was not very good at tackling, uh, and, and they played quite soft uh, for for most of the season. So you know they need to bring in some toughness. They need to they need to uh, you know they need to go back to the drawing board and and just work on the fundamentals of of tackling. And I, I think uh, if they can write that, they have the offense to be pretty darn good. And 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 who's to say? I mean, 
tonight is going to tell us a lot about the ACC potentially. If Clemson goes out and doesn't look all that good, watch out. I think Miami could win this conference rather easily. I agree. A hundred percent. I agree with you. Um, I think that they, like I said, they look really suspect. Um, another, uh, contender for a good pick was Rutgers going and beating Boston college, uh, there at BC. So that was also, you know, another ACC or sorry, big 10 team, uh, taking down an ACC team, another bad, uh, you know, point against the ACC, if you will, not quite as bad as the PAC 12 as we'll get to later. Uh, but I, I won't uh, spoil too much there. Hey, what was your good performance of the week? Well, let me add to, to what you just said. Um, you had Louisville, who I thought might be a sneaky good team this year, get absolutely drubbed by, by Syracuse. Syracuse. And you had NC State who and, and North Carolina, who barely were able to pull out wins against ECU and App State, respectively. So, um, you know, some shaky starts. Certainly, I think uh, NC State will turn things around. That was a survive and advance game. Uh, you know, so I think we'll see them continually get better over the over the next few weeks. But yeah, you're right. Some of the teams that we thought might be kind of middle division and might be able to pull off some of those upsets don't seem to be uh, to be those teams. So uh, the ACC ha- does have some question marks, but it looks like they might have a couple big dogs at the top. Um, when it goes to my good, it's 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 the elites. It's uh, it's the big dogs of of the world of the country in college football, and and that is that your Bama, your Georgias, and your Ohio States. And I know this is a bit of a cop out, so you know, give me all the crap you want, but. I, I toyed with this one. You know, Ohio State in the moment, They, I was really surprised to see C.J. Stroud. He, he didn't look as buttoned up as he has in years past. Not to say he made any bad decisions. He, he just missed some open throws, missed some throws that, you would, you would you know, we saw him make uh, many times over down the stretch of last season. Uh, certainly, he's trying to get on the same page with some of their newer receivers. Uh, you know, doesn't have Garrett Wilson or Chris Olave anymore. That's that's certainly a, a drop off. Certainly, uh, s- certainly is tougher as well to have your number one Jackson, Jackson Smith and Jigba get hurt early on in that game and was unable to return. Uh, you know, and 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 maybe the most alarming thing to me was Travion Henderson or the lack thereof. I mean, he he pretty much got told to sit on the bench and in place of. Uh, I think his last name was Williams, just uh, a little bowling ball who just ran really hard well. That's a good thing because that does add depth. But you kind of sit and scratching your head going, man, this guy was, you know, one of the top three or four to win the Heisman. When you really, given given the day now to decompress and to really think about that game, you know, that's, that's a survive in advance. Ohio State didn't play their best. They certainly looked very much improved like we thought they might with Jim Knowles coming in, the new D.C., and uh, and, and they showed it. Now, could some of that be because Notre Dame's offense just isn't very good? Yeah, and I think that's that's partially the case. But you saw a, a one-two and an aggressiveness out of this Ohio State defense that you hadn't seen all of last year. Seems like they they might have a, a couple stud D linemen that have, that rose up and played well uh, on Saturday. So in, in you know hindsight's obviously twenty twenty, but looking back, given a full twenty four hours to mull over this game. You know that's what Ohio State needed to do. If they if they won pretty good, but they just needed to come out with a victory, uh, and and that's what they did. The better team won, uh, and good kudos to Notre Dame for a good fight. And then quickly to go to Georgia. I mean, it was just an absolute throttling. Uh, you know, I hope you listen to me. This was one of my easy pieces of the week. Um, so three and zero on the season. Let's hope Clemson can get us to four and zero tonight. But man, it was just it, it went very much how I thought it would go. Um, Bo Nix and company were, were moving the ball the first few drives, and, and I thought we were, we would do that. We weren't. Georgia's philosophy, they've done this with Bo Nix the last three times they, they faced them. Now, granted, it was at Auburn, but 
with the offensive coordinator, Dillingham, coming from Auburn at one point in time, he was a uh, uh, Bo Nix's QB coach slash offensive co-offensive coordinator in 2019. He kind of knew they were going to run a similar style of offense. That's get the ball out quick, get it side to side, you know, QB runs. And, and you know, Bo Nix can really hurt you with his legs. You want to make him throw the ball. And that's what Georgia did. So they were able to dink and dunk and, you know, move down the field uh, a few times. But at the end of the day, just same old Bo Nix and 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 this defense. I told you they they might not be as good as last year. They're not going to be as good as last year, but they go from maybe the greatest of all time to one of the best, if not the best, defense in the country still this year. So yes, there's a drop off, but not as much as people thought going into this game. I think you saw that uh, the physicality just just lining up and hitting you over and over again. Especially that offensive line couldn't really hold up. Uh, to the defensive line, they looked worn out, and and you saw the breakdown in pass protection uh, as that game went on, and uh, you know Georgia's offense just was very methodical, went right down the field. Stetson looks like a 24, 25 year old quarterback. I mean, uh, he's he's been doing this for a long time, so he came out. He has a command and a calmness about him, you know, knowing he's the guy. Uh, and then you go to Alabama, and I'm not going to go too in depth on this one, but they do exactly what they were supposed to do. They win 55 to I believe nothing, and. You know, yep. it was just very methodical. So they certainly have a big test next week against Texas uh, going to Austin. That game day will be there. But, man, th- these three really just separated themselves even further. And, and you could feel it on Saturday night when all the dust settled. So um, we've got potentially, I think, one more team that could jump up into that category. We'll see. They play tonight, and that is the Clemson Tigers. Um, but I think you're looking – you saw those three teams, the elites, they just keep on getting richer. Yeah, and we already touched on it. And you just did a great breakdown of it, but but seeing the way that a number three team was able to absolutely drub a number eleven team in the nation, uh, forty nine to three, was just enough to make you realize. Even not being a Georgia fan, I mean, I'm sitting there next to an Oregon fan, and it was enough to go, "Holy crap!" The difference between one through three, possibly four, to your point, and the rest of the pack is just so large right now. Um, not great for college football as a whole. Um, but kind of fun when you're, when you're part of that elite. Uh, and, and I think that's just kind of the world that we've moved into. I think that things could be changing. You go, you know, things are obviously always fluid. Um, but, but, uh, those three teams certainly have it figured out, uh, with how to win football games and do so in convincing fashion. Uh, let's switch over to the bad performances of the week. These don't necessarily mean that you should be embarrassed, but it's just less than subpar. Uh, it's, it's uh, or it's subpar, I should say. It's less than, than uh, ideal, the ideal situation. Um, mine is going to be NC State and UNC, the hierarchy of North Carolina college football. Both of those teams are lucky to get away with wins. Um, the NC, the UNC app state game, 63 to 61. Um, and then the final in ECU and NC State was one point, 21 to 20. A couple of, uh, you know, college kickers being college kickers type situation. Um, and it was they both of those games, one different bounce of the ball. And we're looking at upsets, major upsets. Um, we knew we, we if you were listening to us on our preview podcast, we told you ECU was a volatile place to play. Um, we knew that App State was going to be close. They were, I think, favored once the game actually kicked off Pierce. So that line moved, jumped over to App State from uh, what it opened at. Um, so we knew both those games would be close. But like I said, uh, at the the, uh, the beginning of the podcast, 
I was really high on UNC or UNC, NC State. A lot of people were really high on NC State, but to potentially win the ACC, I don't think that's going to happen now, especially seeing, uh, well, we still have to see Clemson, but especially seeing like the Miamis of the world. I'd say even FSU is taking a step up, and NC State really had a, had a wake-up call there um, in uh, Greensboro. I think they play in Greensboro, Greenville, whatever. Casey's going to get mad at me for that. Whatever. It's East Carolina's, the Pirates. You should be able to handle that, and they didn't. So, um, yeah, I mean, but it was great. It was great for the early slate of games. It's just not great for the hierarchy of uh, of North Carolina football, like I said. Uh, at some point, I got to imagine UNC starts talking to Mac Brown Pearson and says, hey, you're like 70-something years old, and I think maybe this isn't this isn't working. But I don't know who you will go and get necessarily either. Um, but, uh, hey, honorary bad as well to uh, Virginia Tech going to Old Dominion and losing. So not, not a great first outing for uh, Brent Pry there. What about you, Pierce? Did you have anything to add about those, or do you have uh, want to go through your good or your, I mean, your bad of the week? Uh, I'm going to jump into the bad. Uh, one thing to add onto UNC since we're not covering it in our uh, our recap of the ten games we picked last week. Um, I I don't disagree with you. I think I think the guy on the chopping block first, and it could come in the next week or two, is probably Gene Chizik, um, the D coordinator for oh, North sure. Carolina. Yeah, I think he's uh, an easy scapegoat. And certainly if they can't figure out some sort of uh, of fix, it doesn't have to be a full fix, but you know, just shore up some things uh, tackling-wise. And again, the fundamentals, uh, you know, I, you're right. I, I think Mac Brown could be gone, but I think it's still a little early. He's gotten recruits in there, and that's what also is so dumbfounding about this whole Gene Chizik debacle. Um, he's got recruits in there. He, he's They've done a great job of that. They've gotten better since Mac Brown came in. So I do think you got to give him one year, especially with another year with the quarterback. But we'll see. You're not wrong about any of your points. Uh, my bad of the week is the Pac-12. And listen, it, it really comes down to the two highlight games of, of Saturday or, or two of the three or four uh, main highlight highlighted games of Saturday. And that was Utah, the cream of the crop in the Pac-12 going to Florida. Now, the interesting thing about this is I did have a good feeling that Florida was going to win. That's a tough place to play down in the swamp. Um, and it's not to dis- it's not to say that Utah can't can't get to all of their goals at the end of the season. They 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 still have every opportunity in the world to win the Pac-12 and 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 make us get a spot in the playoffs. Them losing to Florida, a non-ranked team, who I think show that they're better than they are. Oregon getting drubbed like they did, who's the second or third best team in that conference according to rankings. Um, it is really bad just for the Pac-12 in a whole. It makes USC's job of of and and their argument of trying to get into the 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 playoff hunt. It, it makes their argument a little bit more difficult if they don't go out there and not only win but also put up style points in most of their games. Um, because this was a very, you know, two to three team top heavy race in the Pac-12 between three teams that you know are probably the only hopes for them to have a chance to sniff any playoffs. And, uh, you know, two of them go down really early. Now, I'm not saying Oregon was going to make the playoffs this year. This is clearly more of a rebuilding year. Um, Gosh, it may even extend slightly into next year. Uh, But Utah certainly was ready to make the push. And, you know, we're still up in the air about USC. I think they're probably a year away um, at the moment. But, you know, if they want that chance, if Oregon wants that chance, they've got to beat Utah and they've got to just demolish and put up style points against everybody else because, um, it certainly was not a good showing against, uh, you know, a, an outside conference foe and, and in a national spotlight. So my bad is the Pac-12. They still have the chance. It's early. If you're going to lose early in the season, it's probably better than late. Um, but certainly it's it, it gives them a, 
you know, they've got a lot, lot taller mountain to climb now. Um, so that is my bad. The Pac-12 conference as a whole. All right, let's talk about our uglies of the week. Mine is going to be old Brian Kelly. Uh, listen, here's the thing. He basically slighted Notre Dame when he left. He essentially told them, I'm never going to win a championship here. I'm going to go to greener pastures to the SEC. I'm going to be able to get better recruits. I'm going to have better staff. I'm going to have better facilities. Uh, and he he did get an upgrade in a lot of those departments, Pierce. But I'm a little bit questioning now what Brian Kelly is going to be able to do to bring all the pieces together. Now, I do understand he was not getting a turnkey program. There are some teams that you walk into and you've got a better setup than others. He is going to have a little bit of an uphill battle. But what I saw there last night on ABC was absolutely atrocious from a standpoint of, um, you know, nothing looked cohesive. First of all, Jaden Daniels was terrible. Uh, Kayshawn Booty was absolutely, you couldn't even, he was nowhere to be found for most of the game. He finally makes a reception with, I think, about five minutes left. And now, granted, you know, that's up to him. He didn't make a reception, but he wasn't targeted very much. Um, and now you sent a text message uh, earlier on uh, in the day to our family group text saying, hey, uh, Keishon Booty is out. He's entering the transfer portal. He has removed all of his affiliation to LSU on his social media. It's now rumored that he's potentially leaving. So your best your best player on your team is leaving. It must have felt crappy if you're Miles Brennan sitting at home and going, I can't believe I retired from college, from football altogether for this Jaden Daniels kid. Um, and uh, Stuart Mandel even tweeted out last night, and I agreed with this. I didn't think about it till he said it, but then I noticed it. Every time they showed Brian Kelly on the sidelines, he was not interacting with any, any of the team. He wasn't interacting with any of the coaches on the sidelines. He wasn't talking in his headset. He was standing there, and I get this. is He can't help his wrinkles, but he was standing there, and every, his face was sagging, and he was looking like, holy crap, I've made a mistake. Um, so do I think it's going to be all gone for LSU? No, but they do not have an easy schedule. there playing in the sec West. There's a very real possibility Pierce that they are the bottom, the literal bottom of the sec, uh, West. I don't think they're necessarily worse than Vanderbilt, but, uh, to go out there and have a team choke it away, you almost win. Obviously there was a miffed punt or miffed field goal or extra point. Sorry. That could have sent you to overtime. Um, you know, that's not necessarily on you as a coach, but he didn't seem to bring the the locker room together. And like I said, to have the volatility of Kayshawn Booty, if you believe the rumors, just absolutely getting a screaming match with Brian Kelly. I don't know how it gets better for them. They have Southern University this next week. That should be a win. They're at home. Then they have Mississippi State. Um, and then after a, another week with a, a cupcake, they have Auburn, Tennessee, Florida, Ole Miss, Alabama, Arkansas, Texas A&M. I mean, that could be... Those could all be losses. Um, I don't know. It's it's an ugly, ugly situation in Baton Rouge. I think it gets better. I still believe in Brian Kelly's ability to coach, but but right now, especially with some of these first year head coaches, Billy Napier goes out and he wins. Uh, you know, against a, a ranked team at home, Mario Cristobal impresses seventy to thirteen in his first outing. Um, you know, Dan Lanning didn't look great, but that's against the national champions, and you can't even be FSU. And as an FSU. Uh, attendee, former attendee. I didn't graduate from there, but uh, I got to tell you, it's been sad, sad, sad in Tallahassee. You should have had a better showing than you had the other than uh, than you had last night. So, all around ugly, ugly things right there. Um, any thoughts on Brian Kelly, or do you want to take us through your ugly? Uh, yeah, you know, we, we'll we'll hit on this game here a little later. So I'll I'll let this breathe a second, but I will uh, do have some points to make on it. Uh, both good for one team and, and really bad for the other. Uh, 
but yeah, so my so my bad. Uh, we'll jump ahead. I'm sorry, my ugly. We'll jump right into that. Um, is the Iowa offense? Ooh. The Iowa offense. I don't know if if anybody got to tune into this game. It might have been hard to find. I think it might have been on the Big Ten Network. They weren't playing a bad South Dakota State team. The, the Jackrabbits are. They actually field a pretty good team, and 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 the line was indicative of that. I think it was at what like twenty, maybe even less than that. Um, but for an Iowa offense who for years now for years people have been saying when is Kirk Ferentz going to let his son know he's no longer the OC because he's just not producing they had all offseason to go into the transfer portal and maybe find some weapons or maybe I don't know just just throwing this out there maybe find a QB to transfer in to com- at least compete with Petrus they decided to not bring in a single a single I think they brought in one transfer um, and that was on the defensive side of the ball this offseason. And they go out and they fail to score a point. And I flirted with putting the defense as a good here, the Iowa defense. But how could I? Or even putting them as a bragger. But how could I? Yeah, they might have played well. But it's against South Dakota State. You expect to still play well defensively and you've got a good defensive team. You expect to hold them and, and, and maybe even score some points. The offense's inability to score a touchdown in this type of game spells bad news for not only Iowa, but for me. Iowa was my preseason uh, bet to make it to the Big 12, uh, Big 10 title game. I don't know if that's going to be in the cards anymore after seeing how anemic this offense was. They've got a lot of uh, a lot of things need to be done to change this up. And unfortunately, I don't know if it's going to fix itself this year. It might be a thing where you just got to start cleaning house uh, on the offensive side of the ball. So my ugly is Iowa, uh, Iowa offense, and and it really is not even close. It was it was darn right ugly to watch that game. Yeah, yeah, and and I don't know what it's going to take for them to make a change there with their offensive coordinator. Um, but at some point, you as an administration, you as an athletic program, got to put a little bit of a pressure there on the head coach and say, I know he's your son, but this is not, not great. And uh, I was just got off the phone with my friend who's an Iowa fan and she, I don't think she necessarily watches every snap with bated breath like we do, but uh, it, uh, I asked her about it. I said, did you watch the Iowa game? She said, I don't want to talk about it. So not great, <laughs> not great. Um, and, and yeah, defense continues to reign supreme for them. But I mean, at some point, at some point, you got to get with the times and, and start start scoring touchdowns. All right. Well, that does it for our good, our bad, and the downright uglies of the week. Let's take you through the rest of the slate as we watched it. Uh, the Pittsburgh Panthers and the West Virginia Mountaineers, they squared off in the first backyard brawl in, I think, a decade, Pierce. I can't remember. They talked about it a lot on the broadcast, but I'm coming up blank at this point with how many it had been. I think it had been 10 years. Um Pittsburgh wins 38-31. to 31. It came down to the wire there. I'm sure you'll hit on this. I know we were talking about it. JT Daniels, transfer quarterback, originally from USC, now from uh, Georgia. He uh, he did pretty well. He looks like a very good, uh, capable quarterback, as we knew he was. We are very familiar with him. But he can't catch the ball that he's throwing. He's got to have some wide receivers do that, and nobody was catching anything for him. Keaton Slovis, another transfer quarterback for Pitt, also from Southern California. Kind of funny we're having this backyard brawl, which is all about regionality because these two teams are so close to each other. We're having two quarterbacks from Southern California playing it, but whatever. Uh, anyways, he's able to just get it done there for Pittsburgh at the last minute. They hold, they uh, come back from behind and hold on to the lead. 38-31 to 31 was the final there. Uh, this was a Thursday night game. I know you were watching it. There was nothing else going on. 
were you as uh, appalled by what was happening with West Virginia as I was? Uh, I don't, I wouldn't go that far. I mean, certainly offensively, they didn't, they weren't dialed in. And it wasn't just that, that final pick, uh, that was returned all the way for a touchdown. Ultimately the game winning touchdown, you know, Daniels had a number of throws, uh, and a few deep balls that he put right. It just dropped right in the bucket. And, and you hit the nail on the head. The receivers really, really struggled this game. And, you know, that first half, I thought JT Daniels, because that was the big question mark for me, not question mark, but the big storyline for me was, yeah, it's a massive rivalry game. Probably one of the sneakier, most bitter rivalries in, in college sports that, you know, maybe you and I don't appreciate it, but it is a it is a cutthroat rivalry. And it was a raucous environment. I mean, I was actually blown away. I had not seen Heinz Field, I don't think, ever that that crazy. And I know I, I'm, I'm a sucker for college crowds and, and the bands, but you know, and I'm sure it gets loud for Steelers games, but man, it was just going bonkers. Um, you know, the renewal of a rivalry will do that. JT Daniels, I thought, outplayed Keenan Slovis in the first half and 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 into the third the third quarter. Um, ultimately, Keenan Slovis get, has the better numbers. Um, he played he played well. He played well. I don't. I, I certainly don't think he was a world beater by any stretch of the imagination. But he probably just has a little bit more weapons on his side of, uh, of the ball. And, and you're right. I thought West Virginia's defense really, sh- really surprised me. Uh, I thought they came out and really did some nice things. They were tackling well. They were very physical. You knew Pitt was going to have a good defense, and, and, and it showed. You know, JT Daniels couldn't, couldn't just always press the ball downfield like he wanted to. He was on his back a lot. I mean, he got hit a lot. Um, the one question mark I have going forward, and I know Pitt has a good D-line, is the West Virginia O-line. I'm not sure. And they were decent run blocking. But pass blocking, they were definitely uh, uh, getting beat more often than not, um, and that was indicative. But, yeah, I felt bad for JT. That last throw was just the put the icing on the cake for what was West Virginia's night. Did a lot of good things, but ultimately just shot himself in the foot, and it had nothing to do with JT. I thought he was – he and their, and their running game was uh, pretty solid. It was just miscues galore, and, uh, and that's kind of been indicative of the Neil Brown regime uh, and, and time at West Virginia. And certainly not a, not a great look on his end as well, deciding to punt the ball from midfield, uh, you know, late in the fourth quarter when you're trying to go down and win a game. Um, so, you know, just not a, not a pretty performance overall for West Virginia. I thought they did some nice things. I think they can certainly, uh, you know, make a bowl this year and maybe upset a couple of folks in the Big 12, but just uh, just got to iron out some of those kinks and iron out some of those miscues. And and that might be tough to do because it's it's it hasn't really gotten itself corrected in the last four years. Another uh, showdown happening between two transfer quarterbacks, Pierce. I mean, it just feels like you can't throw a dang dart in uh, college football without hitting a transfer quarterback. And uh, that, we knew that would happen with all of the rule changes. But uh, Illinois, with, led by Tommy DeVito from Syracuse and Indiana, led by Connor Basilek from Mizzou. Another close one, another last-second win, this time by Connor Basilek and the Indiana Hoosiers. 75-yard drive with a, a one-yard touchdown run at the end by Sean Shivers. 23 seconds left to win the game. 23-20 to 20 for Tom Allen's fighting Hoosiers over Illinois. I really thought Illinois would take this one. Uh, you know, Indiana obviously had a great year during the COVID year. Last year was really bad. Um, you know, these are two teams that don't necessarily bring in the best talent. Uh, you know, we didn't think they, these two teams don't necessarily threaten in their conference. I should say, um, that being said, you know, you get the right transfer quarterback and pieces can kind of fall into place. So at least you get a shining moment for Tom Allen and company though, you know, 
again, like I said, it's Illinois. It's not like you're you're beating Ohio State. But hey, you know, hey, maybe they're able to get a little bit of momentum going. It is the first time seeing these teams, and it is a conference rival. So, you know, take it for what it will. 23 to 20, the final in this one. Although, I don't know. Did you watch much of this one? Uh, yeah, night. I did tune into this one. Did you? Uh, okay. Yeah, I did. And I didn't know if you'd be and, watching uh, that TCU to be quite or not. Frank, so that was so. So uh, Illinois was a little bit before, um, but yeah, like man, ten, TCU got into a rain delay. That that sucker didn't start until oh, like ten right. o'clock Central Time. So I was up till one thirty uh, watching that one. That was, and 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 at points I wanted to just put, you know cut, cut my eyes out of my my their sockets and and just bleed out because it was so so tough to watch that game at times. So hold on, Indiana man, Indiana hold up, hold I think up. was. You know why that's so funny to me that you just got that graphic and bloody? Did you watch House of the Dragon last night or something? I, I did not. Don't spoil it for me. But mom and I oh. are both excited to uh, to watch it tonight. Although we're, I'm okay. I'm home. Right. I'm home right now. I'm home right now because you know I'm I'm watching the rewatch of Game of Thrones with dad. So that's kind of taking precedence. So I don't I don't know if I'm going to get to it tonight <laughs> or not. But um, yes, I am, uh, I am one episode life. behind. I know. I it really is. It's it's actually getting gross, and I, and I'm having you know bad dreams where I'm like. <laughs> In the woods with swords, that's bad. It's it's a it's a disturbing, disturbing thing to get into. But yeah, it's uh, and I'm, I'm not kidding. It was it, it, it that amount of vulgar, uh, vulgarness. Is that a word? I don't know if it is. It was it was vulgarity. necessary. That first half was just vulgarity. Thank you. Was just ridiculous. But anyway, uh, we'll get to that. Yeah, Indiana, man. Indiana was very fortunate, I thought, to get away with this win. I thought Illinois outplayed them. Um, when you look at it, they Indiana really couldn't run the ball against Illinois. They, they pretty much just decided we're going to go away from that and let Bazelik throw. He threw for over 300 yards, but he, he it took him 50-something attempts to do so. Um, and, 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 and I don't know if you saw this highlight. A lot of people were talking about this on Twitter Friday night. Illinois had a touchdown called back for one of those, you know, um, it, I think it's called the Calvin Johnson rule where he's, there was a rule where he caught the ball and landed on his backside in the end zone. And as he was getting up, put the ball on the ground to brace himself getting up, and the ball didn't come up with his hand, and so they they said he he didn't continue with the catch, and that's happened a few times uh, over recent years. It's ridiculous, and that happened in the Illinois game. It was a guy. It was a touchdown that was absolutely ripped away from Illinois. Um, maybe even more egregious than those. And so Indiana really. They still had to go down the field, and they still had to come back and win that game. But boy, I, I just felt so bad for Illinois. They, you know, despite being underdogs, and I think at at close this was pretty much a pick 'em. Uh, but man, I thought Illinois played a great. You know, that, Illinois got a chance, man. Illinois got some swagger with them. They've got some good new players in there. Tommy DeVito's doing a nice job of just um, distributing the ball and 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 you know not making too many mistakes. Uh, so a weird one to watch. It was it was uh, I think. Illinois was the slightly better team, but you know, sometimes in college football, that's just not, that doesn't matter. And, and the home team got some good, good bounces their way and, and made the most of it at the end uh, with a touchdown, 23 seconds left in the game to, to eke this one out. But boy, it wasn't pretty. And, and I, and, and even after a win, I, I don't think Indiana's prospects this year are even that of Illinois. So that's saying a lot. Um, so Tom Allen, he needs all the wins he can get. This certainly will help him keep his job. Yeah, he is definitely going to need a little bit of help there. But again, another one of those schools that's like, who are you going to go hire? Um, all right, let's talk about a game that apparently wanted you to cut your eyeballs out and bleed out to death. The TCU Horned Frogs taking down the Colorado Buffaloes 38-13. to I don't know why, though admittedly I didn't watch this game. I don't know why you'd want to cut your eyeballs out for a win like that. Looks like things were uh, trending a little bit better in Sunny Dyke's first uh, 
outing as TCU has coach, but apparently not. So fill us in there with what happened with your Horn Frogs. Well, so admittedly, some of it was, uh, I got to give credit to Colorado. Some of it was Colorado's doing. Colorado came out with the game plan knowing they couldn't win a shootout with TCU. That's just not how they're built. Um, they're pretty limited with what they can do throwing the football, so they had to get creative. And 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 TCU runs that 3-3-5 three, three, defense uh, a lot of the time still, where only three D linemen are down. Um, it lets their linebackers roam three, free. And, uh, you know, the more cornerbacks, more DBs you can put in, in a Big 12 type of defense, a lot of those defenses, that's their philosophy. They like to have a faster cover guy because they do. There are so many offenses that spread you out. Um, so, you know, Colorado, they were doing a good job of calling plays. They were just getting four five, six yards and just they were going on six, seven, eight minute drives. It seemed like in that first half. Um, and boy, it really caused uh, Chandler Morris, the starting QB for TCU to struggle. Um, I don't know if he had more than 30 or 40 yards in the entire first half. I think TCU had only one first down maybe in the first half. Now, granted, I think they only had the ball three or four times, but um, and, and that was a, a obvious Colorado's doing. They were trying to, uh, to, to, you know, shorten the game and, and they struggled at the times to, to, to put it in the end zone. The one field goal, they were, uh, they were very close and, and they also got stopped on the goal line at one point in time. Um, and, and, and give TCU credit. I was actually surprised to see TCU's defense come out and play physical and play and somehow see how some of the transferred plays, uh, D D Winters is a star is a stud for TCU at linebacker. I don't know if he's got the NFL type prospects, but just a great, great baller, uh, at the college level. Um, and, and so I was surprised they had a 17 year old freshman, 17 year old, the youngest kid at TCU history to get a sack. Um, so pretty cool. looks like, uh, you know, this defensive unit should just keep getting better offensively. Whew, it was bad. And, and, and I don't know if you saw the box score. It was seven to three, I believe at half the one touchdown TCU had was on a punt return. So that even puts more into perspective. This offense only had probably like 20 yards at half. It was it was that bad. And you could tell Colorado just, yes, they were moving the ball because TC was kind of giving them those yards. It was very much like the Oregon-Georgia game. Oregon kept driving down the field and getting yards, but T Georgia was letting them do that basically by not rushing the passer because they didn't want Bo Nix to get loose. And, and so it, they were kind of giving them those four or five-yard cushions. Um, and it was very similar in this game. So – uh, obviously, they got it right in the second half. Um, Chandler Morris came out and started connecting with folks. Now, he, he just as he was getting going, and it looked like it was, it was going to be a bloodbath. He got hurt, and I was very fearful that it was. It looked like a knee, and it ended up being a knee. He was crying on the sidelines, um, but it turns out it was just a sprain, and he, he will only be out a few weeks, it seems. Uh, but it's nice to have a guy like Max Duggan who can come in, the backup quarterback, and. Boy, I, I, it, it's really funny. I, I know the game was kind of open, and it seemed like TCU had, at that point, was up, you know, double digits and seemed like they could just kind of lean on Colorado. But once they brought Duggan in, man, they had three guys in the backfield that could run at any given time. And Duggan probably – I think Duggan had over 80 yards rushing. I don't even think he threw the ball once. Um, clearly, they don't trust his his arm uh, in this offense yet. Maybe they don't trust his his knowledge of the playbook. Chandler Morris kind of fits in a little bit more having been at OU under Lincoln Riley and his brother, who's now the offensive coordinator at TCU knows that system much better and has a command of it, but it wasn't pretty. It was not pretty. Um, and it got better in the second half, but definitely just nice to get out of this one with a win and, uh, and a cover is just icing on the cake, man. If you, if I didn't know better, I'd think that uh, you are a North Carolina state fan 
They were lucky to get out of there with a win like we touched about already. 21-20 to when they leave Greenville, North Carolina. They should have probably lost this game, but uh, unfortunately the East Carolina kicker screwed the pooch a couple of times. Misses an extra point with two, a little less than three minutes to go. Uh, and then with five seconds left in the game, misses a 41-yard field goal. He hits either of those. We're either going overtime or we are uh, we're talking about a different outcome here. You know, if you're North Carolina State, you got to go, thank God we're, we're not losing. We didn't lose. You know, they, they obviously have a lot to work on. Um, but it was a, a common theme that a lot of people said this uh, this week saying, I'd much rather have things to work on coming from a win than a loss. Uh, so if you are heading back to Raleigh on that on that bus, you at least are celebra- at least a little happy that you're starting the season 1-0, but you definitely have a long um, road to go if you are them. ECU, volatile place to play, super fired up fan base. Uh, I'm sure that would they would have been rocking if they had won, but instead they left uh, dejected and sad because college kickers are going to be college kickers. Uh, you kind of already hit on this one, but any final thoughts about North Carolina State ECU? Yeah, you, you, I mean, you put it perfect, perfectly. This was a uh, this was just an NC State team that needed to come in here and get a win any way they can. Their their goals are out in front of them, and uh, you know some of these new some of these younger players that don't have as much experience. You know, they, like every team, they lost a few folks, and it was it showed a little bit more on offense and defense. Um, they struggled at times, and, and and that'll only get better with time, especially when you have a QB like Devin Leary, who's a solid player um, and, and, and you know, is really going to put you in places to, to let this team soar and, and potentially even get to 10 wins. And so it's certainly – I'm not going to put the onus on him necessarily, but he with time, he's going to get better. He's going to get, you know, better connected with his receivers. So I think they will improve. Um, and ECU, man, yeah, they, they, they deserve – or not deserve, but they – they had every chance to win this game. They had a great fan base come out, and, and it was a raucous environment. There's, you could feel the hate between the two teams, especially on the ECU side towards NC State. Um, and it was just uh, really what it came down to was some turnovers. Um, you know, two picks. Obviously, they had a a, a, um, a special teams play get blocked for, and re- and recovered for a touchdown. I believe that was a punt. Um, actually, it had to have been a punt. What am I thinking? Uh, so that was uh, seven points that you could think of. And, and obviously the miscues, the missed extra point, um, and then followed up by a missed field goal. Uh, it was tough. You felt for ECU, man. They they had two goal line stands in the second half uh, where NC State just tried to run it down their throat and ECU stood up. So ECU had a great game plan, really played well, had every chance to win, just unfortunately couldn't get it done. Uh, and for NC State, survive in advance, baby. Now, now they go on and hopefully they start to get better and gel offensively and um, and this team could be a nightmare in, in three, four, five weeks to play. I feel like we're going to go pretty long on this one, so I will just jump in. The Georgia Bulldogs take on the Oregon Ducks and take them down 49-3 to here in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, we kind of, I mean, they came in here, they're 17 and a half point uh, favorites, I should say, but I really didn't think it would they would cover. I, I picked Oregon. I thought to myself, well, we'll see a miss key or two. We've been saying all offseason, well, you know, people are really down on Stetson Bennett, but he's never been the guy heading into a season. He finally was the guy. He was finally getting first-team reps all summer, all fall camp, uh, and we saw he looked really, really good. Now, I get it's a Pac-12 defense, and it's not an SEC defense, but it's as about as good as you'd want to see in a debut for him. A lot of young guys stepping it up, a lot of the normal uh, usual suspects 
stepping it up. Got a feel for Bo Nix. I know, you know, we, we kind of ribbed the guy a little bit being an Auburn Tiger, former Auburn Tiger, but he transfers in. He now has lost Georgia, lost to Georgia, I should say, four times in his career, uh, and he's looked bad historically looked bad in all four of those outings. Uh, So you kind of feel bad for the guy. Um, I do think Dan Lanning is a good hire for Oregon. Uh, I I still say to myself, why are you getting a Southern guy who's probably going to flee for the the hills as soon as he gets a chance, just like the last two guys? That being said, I think he's a good hire. I do think that Oregon's got something building. It's just that they have a long way to go. But they certainly do look like – they should be okay in the in the West. I think get back out there to the West, play those West Conference te- or West Coast teams, not West Conference. Play those West Coast teams. You played the national champions, and you got absolutely boat race doing it. I mean, that's to be expected. Absolutely be expected. Um, shame on all the people who said Georgia was taking a big old step back. We'll see uh, when we get an SEC play. But if you're the SEC East, you got to be going. Oh boy, we've got we've got a train coming towards us. Uh, each and every week. Uh, what were your thoughts here, Pierce? I know, like I said, there's some of the standout freshmen. Malachi Starks looked fantastic. Uh, had a couple of picks. Um, all in all, just just a a clinic there in Atlanta. Yeah, and and golly, I I, I hate to brag, but this is bragging rights podcast, so I'm going to go ahead and do it. But I, I I pretty much laid it out for everyone last week. Uh, I had no real reason to worry this game as a Georgia fan. Um, and that's no no real knock on Oregon. Listen, when when Cristobal left, a lot of people decided to jet jet and leave Eugene, and so they had you know this is one of those teams kind of a la Michigan State over the last couple of years where you know they had to bring in twenty twenty plus transfers, and you know sometimes that bodes well, but sometimes it doesn't. Um, and for a team that typically has uh, the talent coming in each year to have to go out and get that, I thought didn't bode well. It wasn't a great sign just up front. Um, I, I told y'all about Georgia's defense. It was, you know, certainly it's going to take a step back from last year, but, you know, going from the greatest, potentially the greatest of all time to uh, still one of the top two or three in the league is nothing to, nothing to scoff at. Um, and offensively, listen, I've also heard from a lot of pundits that are, have kind of been going against Georgia's chances this year that, um, you know, well, okay, yeah, they might get a little bit better on offense. They lost their two running backs. Um, but their receivers don't scare me and tight ends are, you know, just a luxury to have there. They don't really scare me. And you saw, there are so many weapons on this team. They can beat you a myriad of ways. And when you have a offensive line and a quarterback like Stetson, who can just make plays, uh, the sky's the limit for this offense. Um, you know, what five, six incompletions for Stetson, uh, two of them were over or two of them were on drops and two of them were on, uh, just throwing it out of bounds to, to, to avoid getting sacked. Um, so really flawless performance from him. Uh, the, the receivers played well. Kenny McIntosh at running back certainly got getting over 100 yards receiving. That's a great weapon to have. He, he slides right into the James Cook role, which is uh, that's such a weapon. And, you know, obviously the tight ends are just spectacular. Um, and we didn't even really see Eric Gilbert um, or what Oscar Delp can do. They played later in the game when it was all but over. Um, I certainly thought Oregon. I, I did say Oregon. This, this might have been the only thing I was wrong about. I did say I thought Oregon would have a couple skill players, you know, to that would make some big plays, maybe on a return, maybe on, uh, you know, a deep pass where they make a guy, you know, miss. When you think of this Oregon team over the years, they always have those Kenyon Barners, LaMichael James scatbacks that just can make you miss and are in, in the open field, man, they'll break you down and just sit you on your rear and, and blow right by you. 
So, and they just didn't really have much of that. Um, certainly on the defensive side of the ball for Georgia, they didn't get the sacks that they wanted, but that was part of the game plan. They weren't, they weren't aggressively going up the field every time because you over-pursue one time on Bo Nix and he could bust the 30-yard run out. Um, they certainly were going to take their chances, which they've done the last three seasons with Bo Nix through the air. And, you know, the first interception was not his fault. That was just a great individual play by Malachi Starks the 18 year old true freshman. It's pretty obvious that he is going to be this year's stud um, from a freshman perspective. I think he has all but wrapped up that starting job away from Dan Jackson. Dan will still play a lot. He's an older guy that knows, you know, um, they might feel good about in certain, certain situations, but, um, and they threw out. And, and, and I think the beauty of this game for Georgia fans is a lot of those youngsters that you wanted to see, or that need to get playing time. They need to get up to speed. They did. I mean, for all intents and purposes, this was like, uh, 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 playing Sanford next week. It's it's gonna be a it's gonna be a game where we're able to get our young guys in there early and, and, and let them kind of get some work in in a real game like setting. And that's uh that's an exciting thing to have happen in week one against you know the eleventh ranked team. I certainly don't think that they will. Uh, I don't know if they're a top twenty team when all is said and done, but they may be top twenty five. Uh, but they've got a long way to go. And and you're right. I think Dan Landing will get it done. It seems like the players are. Uh, uh, love them and are bought in on what he's pushing. But, you know, with everything that that comes with being successful in, in recruiting or in coaching, your your biggest asset is having players and and, and good players. And, and so he needs to get in there. Certainly, if he can hit on some transfers next year to supplement that with some uh, good recruiting classes, I think the sky's the limit for them. Um, but he does need to address the physicality, uh, in particular on the on the Oregon defensive side, I thought. Some of the guys wanted to bring their hats and 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 go out there and, and make tackles, but man, it was uh, some of the guys just, especially some of the DBs, just kind of laid down. And I thought Georgia's game plan did a great job of taking the strength of what Oregon does well, and that is their two linebackers, Noah Sewell and Justin Flo, took them right out of the game. And and when Stetson had that, uh, I think it was what big big pass down to uh, Ad Mitchell along the sidelines where he got cheap shotted by Justin Flo. I think that was just that just showed you Justin Flo was tired of getting taken out of the game. The sideline to sidelines play calling, uh, getting it out wide. These these linebackers were just they couldn't get out there quick enough, and so they were pretty non-existent. So the frustration showed as well. But great win for the dogs. Um, hopefully Oregon can get back to, to business because I still think they have a, a, a they can be a player in the Pac-12. But I'm definitely definitely excited to see Georgia uh, submit themselves in that elite group this year when maybe a lot of I think a lot of folks thought it'd be Ohio State and Bama Georgia has entered the party absolutely Arkansas and Cincinnati in top 25 matchup there in Fayetteville to open up the season their first top 25 um was it wins no not win what am I looking for there was a matchup at home since 2016 there you go so Arkansas's first top 25 matchup since 2016 they were trying to cap their best season since 2011 and it's off to a good start Sam Pittman and company winning 31 to 21 over Cincinnati listen we knew it was going to be hard to uh, replace Desmond Ritter uh that that proved to be the case Arkansas, K.J. Jefferson looks good. They have a gauntlet of a season to go through, Pierce. I'm not necessarily sure they get through unscathed, but they're going to be. Hear this loud and clear, SEC West. If you were not already scared of Arkansas, you should be scared of Arkansas. They are going to be a tough beat, whether you have to face them at home or on the road. They they certainly are scrappy, and they have, they're playing fun and loose, you know. Uh, Cincinnati, probably going to fall out of the top 25. 
you know, do I believe last year was a flash in the pan? No, but you knew they were going to have to rebuild. They are a group of five school. They don't just have top recruiting classes every single year and can do the whole reloading thing that Bama, Ohio State, Georgia, Clemson do. They're going to have a rebuilding year. This is a rebuilding year. Uh, so hopefully they don't lose all the momentum they, they gained last season. But not a great start for them, though they did hold it close there in Fayetteville. Uh, and they are talented, ultimately, SEC speed and uh, uh, strength just wins out, and KJ Jefferson looks like a stud. Yeah, I thought this game, uh, like I said, I've already hit on it. It, it was it was a great game, but there were lulls uh, for sure between both these teams, where it just you know chalk it up to good defense, uh, chalk it up to meh, offense, but. Uh, this this game did did end up being a good one. It was obviously uh, this is a theme this week. Just survive in advance, and Arkansas did that. I actually walked away from this game more impressed with Cincinnati. Um, I, I didn't expect their defense to hold up as well. Uh, you know they they really did a good job of not allowing KJ Jefferson to hit many big shots. Um, you know obviously he's going to get his yards on the ground. Uh, but they played fast. They played physical. I, I certainly think I thought this team would take a big step back. Um, and, and it looks like they have every every chance to um, compete for the AAC again. Um, and, and, and I don't know if they're in the Big 12 yet. I guess that's next year. I'm so lost with all this this crap that's these changes. But anyway, I, I digress. It, Arkansas came out and they kind of did what a typical SEC team does. They got up and then they just leaned on Arkansas and leaned on Arkansas and leaned on Arkansas. Um, certainly didn't have the big plays from a Traylon Burks type. Trey Knox, the tight end, converted from receiver. He looks like he's he could be a good weapon. Jaden Hazelwood got a, a a touchdown. He's that's certainly good for Arkansas fans to see. He's their uh, their hopeful replacement for Burks. And you know KJ Jefferson, he's going to get his yards. Um, he certainly only he, he didn't have a spectacular day with his arm, uh, but it wasn't needed. Uh, they they kind of relied on that defense and that running game to churn clock and to kind of beat up Cincinnati and and unfortunately Cincinnati did have every chance to go out and win that game some miss uh, some miscues as well on that side and that's certainly what happens with when you're breaking in some 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 you know inexperienced players to key positions um, so I think the sky's the limit for Cincinnati here moving forward certainly I wouldn't be bummed too bummed if I were them they 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 came out and played a very physical team um, and and I thought I thought performed pretty well for the most part um and, and they'll get better throughout the season and uh arkansas arkansas did you know it was just kind of a workmanlike performance it was just uh you know bring your hard hat and your lunch pail and, and let's go get this w and they did and uh they covered as well even though it was by a half point it was good to see i, I had arkansas on saturday so um kind of i thought both teams played fairly well both teams have things to work on but both teams uh you know i think that i think both teams have the making of a solid team this season. Let's turn our attention to what happened in the swamp. We both predicted this one, I believe. Florida 29, Utah 26. Home dogs of the week. Florida gets it done uh, outright, beating the number seven team in the nation. Probably, is it too early to say probably putting a nail in the coffin of the Pac-12's chances of getting a playoff team in? I guess USC still has a fighting chance, but... I think we'll I think Utah still has every chance to. I do. I don't think this and, game will will, will, to make the playoffs? will ruin their chances if they rattle off mm. eleven straight wins. Yeah, it's going to also depend what yeah. Florida does. It's going to depend what Florida does the rest of the season as well. You know, that's I one of those that they, they drop game of the season. Ah, I think it will. I think it will. But hey, whatever. We thing. can do that later. Florida, I think, has a chance to to be a top fifteen team this year. 
Okay, well, that's that's where the difference of opinion comes in. But they did look good in the opening season or opening game of the season, the 33rd consecutive first game of the season win for the Florida Gators, Anthony Richardson. There's a reason why people have been saying to play him. We was a little bit suspect why Dan Mullen didn't do it last year. He's decided to, to roll with Emory Jones. The flashes we did get to see Anthony, he looked good. Why he wasn't the guy last year, I'm not sure. I tweeted out, Pierce, that I thought if Anthony Richardson played majority of the year last year, Dan Mullen is still the coach of the Florida Gators. Uh, but he didn't. He didn't roll with him. And uh, now we're looking at Billy Napier's reign there in Gainesville. Um, all in all, very close game, very fun game, wet game. Cam Rising did look good, although he wasn't able to get it done. Uh, I think the rain might have played a little bit into the uh, hands there of uh, of Florida. 29-26, the final there. You think that Florida is a potential top 15 team? I don't know. We'll see. I don't think you're necessarily wrong. I think they're going to finish the season ranked, but I still think that they've got a tough, tough road to climb uh, with a first-year head coach. I think that Utah's done. I don't think the Pac-12's done. That's my official stance there. I think that uh, – they're going to need to win a lot in convincing fashion in order to, to make the playoffs. I just think that that ultimately we've seen the committee has a more of a lean towards putting two teams from the same conference in if they're both one loss and or undefeated with one and then one with one loss as opposed to a Pac-12 team. So that's my official stance on that. What do you, what do you like about this game? Yeah, this was, I thought this was a fun game. Uh, the environment, everything about it, this was what you were looking for. This was, I, I think, as excited as I was for every other game, even the even the Ohio State-Notre Dame game, this one might have been the one I was interested in the most because, you know, I was looking for a lot of changes at Florida, in particular the head coach, um, and, and a Utah team. And, and, and this is why I do think uh, my last little rebuttal to you or, or argument or whatever on Utah I think one thing about Utah is I think at the end of the season, even if Florida is the top 15 team, I think that the, the, the voters will look at, man, going to Gainesville is so much more difficult than, than, uh, you know, people give it credit for. It is one of the, I would say outside of LSU, I think that it is the second rowdiest and toughest environments to go in as an away team and win. Um, and it's not like Florida doesn't have good players, even if they don't, you know, win 10 games this year. Um, that's just a difficult place to play. I also think the biggest thing for Utah is having seen them play last year and get so much better once Cam Rising came in. I think they started the season, what, 0-3 with uh, Connor, what's his name, Connor Brewer um, at, at QB, the Baylor transfer. Um, I think he's now at Liberty. Um, and then going into that Rose Bowl game, playing an Ohio State team who I think is a playoff team this year and and holding their own and hanging, what, a half a hundred on them, um, I think they'll get credit for that because um, it, it'd be one thing if they've never been here and, and they're, they're on the fringe. I think they'll get the benefit of the doubt in some situations because they've been there and they've done that against good teams the last couple of years. Yes, it certainly sucks to lose to an unranked team. Certainly was not the, the ideal performance, but, um, you know, I think from Florida's Florida side of things, what really hurt them last year wasn't their lack of talent. Certainly, they I think fans would agree they don't have all the pieces in place yet. Um, that's something that over the next year or two they they hope to get into Gainesville. But they have dudes. The problem with last year's team was when they got into any adversity under Dan Mullen, they just laid down and quit. They laid down and quit. And in this game, you saw a team that fought at every turning point. Every point they could have laid down and every point last year where they did lay down, 
they didn't lay down in those situations in this game against a top a, a top opponent and i think that's i think that's billy napier's uh you know commitment to detail his his coaching his mentorship and having everybody bought in and so i think if you're a florida fan that's the number one thing i do have a little pushback not not to you but just the national media in perspective in, in, as a whole let me ask you if this is unfair and I'll probably get shredded for this if it's if, if by by a lot of people but what what's the what's the love with Anthony Richardson is he not just KJ Jefferson 2.0 I okay he only threw for 160 yards I don't disagree there I don't I don't know I think it comes down from uh I think that Florida's a sexier team to play for one fair i also think i don't really know what what kind of draft hype or nfl hype kj jefferson is getting anthony richardson's getting a shit ton of 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 why draft hype? i don't know i don't know it's just a prospect thing now i will say this i was watching him with number 15 and i was like well that's tim tebow but you know (laughs) i just think that comes down to uh, what what has florida done to to put people in the nfl and 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 be able to translate that into success versus arkansas hasn't had that but i don't disagree they they play very very fair that's very fair the numbers the the same team and certainly when you've had a, a player come before you that has been a legendary type player and you kind of do a lot of the same things it's it's very easy to to fall victim to that i'm not saying he's bad he is considered to be a top 10, 15 pick when he comes out, which I just think is blasphemy. He's certainly a big kid. He's 6'4", 230 pounds or whatever, and runs really fast. I, I just I, I don't see the downfield progression that I would like from, from Anthony Richardson to feel like he can go in and, and, and win in a in a game against the Georgia. I think there will certainly be uh, – there will be two games this year at least. I think Georgia will be one. Tennessee could be the other. Um Maybe South Carolina, who knows? Um, but where they'll have to score, and the other side, the, their opponent will not allow Anthony Richardson to to just run loose. Utah got caught; they were running man to man defense, and the problem with man to man defense against uh, a guy like Anthony Richardson is all those DBs backs are turned to Anthony Richardson, so he had free reign once he got past the line of scrimmage and that first linebacker to just run another 30 yards. And then, then that that's, that's when Anthony Richardson is scary because a six, four man running at you, that's two thirty running at you with a four five is not something you want to go and tackle as a six foot, you know, 190 pound cornerback. Um, but I, I just saw too many instances where he held the ball and then just took off and ran. And you saw it last night with Jaden Daniels. All he wanted to do was run. And, and, I think that limits your offensive ability, offensive potential um, when you have a guy that is not going to be set up to to just go through his progressions and and find his third receiver and and that puts a lot of pressure on the offensive coordinator. Certainly, he makes the wow plays that that two point conversion. I certainly am more flabbergasted that Utah defender didn't try to tackle him um, and and got put on a poster as a result. Uh, but Florida, Florida, I think I was most impressed with like I said their ability this year to seemingly get over um, themselves when things go bad and to go out there and fight and, and, and fix it. And, and they certainly did that when they were they met with adversity, they battled through it. Whereas last year they just, they just laid down and, 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 you know, waved the white flag. And uh, so, so Florida, I think, man, and, and Tennessee, I think if you're a Tennessee fan, you're looking at this going, wow, well, we're going to have some real competition now for second in the East. And I know that's going to piss Kentucky fans and South Carolina fans off, but I think those are the top two front runners for, for the second place. And 
So, uh, so Florida seems like maybe they got the higher, higher right this offseason. I don't know. Maybe they did. I didn't love his post game on field interview. There was some cheesy, weird stuff coming out, but whatever. Okay. I said this yesterday. I said this yesterday and, 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 and got back. Well, that's exactly how Madison felt. He was like corny, cheesy. La- it was, well, I, was like, Are you I put a lot of trust in the, it was, it, it was, it was strange. It was, it, I was looking at him going, my God, if he's this happy, he, he, he's not put, he's not, he's not up for this, this gig. I he's agree with you. I like, agree ugh. with you. It, it was some weird, that's long, it, drawn out thing about trust and yeah. leadership and, and stuff like that. And I did like Anthony Richardson later on when, when he came on later and he was asked, you know, what's different. He did say, I mean, kind of a, a little bit of a slight to Dan Mullen there who wouldn't play him saying it was more of a United locker and stuff. And I, I believe that. But it was a weird, mm-hmm. drawn-out answer it, to your point. It didn't, and I, I hate to say this, but it didn't feel like a Nick Saban, Ryan Day, mm-hmm. Brian Kelly, even though I gave him hell earlier, Kirby Smart type answer. It was like a, holy crap, do you see where I am? I'm at Disneyland. And it was like, yeah. what is happening yes. right now? Yes, that was that was perfect. That's exactly how I felt it was. And I even felt like he was about to pull a Dabo and start lecturing us like we were in church, too, at, at one point. It was like, it, it, yeah, very strange. Um, I was uh, it made me take a step back on Florida's prospects this season. But certainly I agree. I think he has united the locker room and and that's that's numero uno and getting your team to buy him. Yeah. I mean, I hate to say this, but there's a time and a place to pinch yourself and go, holy crap, I've got the best job ever and so many people would kill to be me. And you do that later on when you get home and you're talking to the family personally, but whatever. I like a cutthroat coach. All right, let's talk about the other big game of the week in the marquee matchup, the Ohio State Buckeyes and the Notre Dame Fighting Irish 21 to 10, the final there. Uh, we, I thought this would be a blowout. Ohio State does not cover the spread. Um, great defense. Uh, you tweeted out a little bit about kind of their, not suspect offense, but a little bit of a lack of ability to adapt. Uh, I'd love to get into that a little bit. Um, CJ Stroud looked, de- you know, he looked up to the billing, but it wasn't necessarily as weird as it sounds to have a double digit win at home. It didn't really feel like it was at least somebody who didn't watch every single snap. It didn't necessarily feel like it should have felt Pierce. Maybe I'm wrong in saying that. I really thought we were going to have um, a, a bigger statement from Ohio State, but you still have a fired up, ranked Notre Dame team coming to town, and you still get it done. So good on them, and that's all you have to do is just win the damn games. At the end of the day, um, the Irish. I think there's a lot of positive momentum there. I think the fact you know it, it sounds dumb to say you go on the road and you lose by 11, and it's a moral victory. But hey, a little bit of a moral victory there with Marcus Freeman's first regular season game as head coach. Um, but ultimately Ohio state just is more talented and that's what it came down to for me. I don't necessarily think I saw all the potential from them of the little, I did get to see real time, still working through all the highlights of these games. Um, but everything real time, I didn't necessarily see them live up to their full potential, but maybe I'm wrong. I know, like I said, you were tweeting a lot about this game. So what were your thoughts? Yeah. And, and I, I talked about it earlier and I do have to correct myself. I, I did get one thing wrong. Um, I, I, I kind of ragged on Travion Henderson. I, I, he had the quietest 91 yards I've ever seen. I don't even remember him in the second half. Um, and I really don't remember all that many good runs, but, um, golly, if they, if they have that second back behind Travion Henderson, which it seems like they do in Mayan Williams, 
this uh this is this could turn into a, an even scarier offense potentially when you can when you do have to take Travion out you have that backup so um, did have to correct myself on that one. I, I did not think Travion had more than 50 yards on the ground. He had 91 and averaged 6.1. Um, yeah, I think, like I said earlier, this is a, you know, giving it some time to breathe. I'm I'm not as harsh or critical of Ohio State. They did what they needed to do. They, they had to come in here and get a win. Um, I certainly think this will be maybe outside of the Michigan game. This will be their toughest game of the season. You know, the, their their other tough game last year other than Michigan was uh, uh, Oregon, and they lost that game. So I definitely think this is a step in the right direction for them. Um, and, and taking a second to breathe, giving it 24 hours, um, you know, I was surprised. It seemed like the offense just is, couldn't get in rhythm. And, and and you know how it is. When you've got a, 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 a up-tempo or more up-tempo type of offense, one that can be more pass-heavy because you have all these um, elite wideouts, elite weapons on the outside for your quarterback, it, it, it's almost like poetry in motion. It's almost like, you know, doing a choreographed dance. And, and if you, if you lose momentum, if you, if you don't get those, you know, maybe that first down reception for six yards to make it second and short, you know, you can, it can be tough. You, like Tennessee, for instance, they don't get that for that, that like they're playing third and long, they're in trouble. They rely on getting that first, first down quickly. And then they go into hyperdrive. Um, so, so sometimes Sometimes you can kind of get out of whack there just from a rhythm perspective. Um, and, and I was looking for that all night, and I never really saw it. And that's what Ohio State, I think, when they're at their best offensively because they're just slinging it around the yard and everybody seems to be getting open. But, but that's credit to Notre Dame's defense. They played, they had a great scheme. They played really well. They've still got stud players. They lost Kyle Hamilton last year, but they returned a lot of guys on that defensive side of the ball, and it showed. Um, so, uh, you know, looking back, C.J. Stroud didn't make any mistakes. He did have some some missed passes, but – you know, he just he he didn't he was it was a very veteran performance. He did what he needed to do. wasn't going to force the issue because they weren't giving it to him. Um, so so I, I give kudos to him. Certainly on the ground, that's kind of where they leaned uh, to to try to uh, you know move the ball down the field on Ohio or on Notre Dame. And and on the flip side, I li- I loved what Notre Dame uh, or what Ohio State did defensively. They were flying around. I'm I'm still interested to see if they have the total speed on the defensive side of the ball to to compete with you know, the top five, 10 defenses in the country. But man, it was a total, total 180 from last year. They were flying around, hitting people. They were excited, getting fired up. Their D-line was getting pressure. Um, and, and you knew they had the talent. It was all about getting the right scheme in there and getting those guys to buy in and to and to, to battle. Because um, last year, they, quite frankly, were soft. Now, I also think on the flip side, Notre Dame's offense is not all that good. I, I thought Buckner or Buk- Buchner, whatever, however you pronounce it, I mean, he was meh, but but he was never a threat to throw the ball deep downfield or to like he was going to go on a drive where he was going to complete five or six passes for 50 yards. That was never in question. He really had to rely more on his legs. They became one dimensional and that made it easier for Ohio State to pin their ears back and, and go right at at the quarterback and and, and right into the backfield. So, um, you know. Yeah, it wasn't pretty in the moment. I certainly was with you. I thought I thought Ohio State would get to 35 points. Um, and, and that's how they would cover and it didn't happen, but I think it, I think it's less about Ohio state and more about Notre Dame when Notre Dame, and you might find this interesting. It might fly over your head too. I'm not sure, but they were playing with a two high with two high safeties, the entire game. And, and, and for most of the game, 
CJ Stroud was not willing to try to uh, mess with those two high safeties and, and push it downfield. Um, so he had to take, you know, sh- shorter throws and take what was given the one play late in the game. Uh, I, th- I believe it was for, for them to go up 14 to 10. Maybe it was their, their, their uh, third touchdown. They blitzed the two high safeties. Notre Dame did. And CJ Stroud, you could just see him. He, he was just smiling as he saw these guys come down because he knows his receivers are going to be able to win one-on-ones and he knew he could throw it and, and, and expect them to go win the ball because they were in a one-on-one situation and it, it resulted in an easy touchdown. So um, I certainly, I think they faced one of their toughest foes and, and maybe the best defense they'll play all season. Um, and, and I think they'll learn from this and, and get better. I think this was a good test early for Ohio state. And, and like I've said for a number of these teams, they're only going to get better. Um, and they'll return to that offense that, that we're so accustomed to. Last but not least, we've talked about it already a bunch. It's still fresh in our minds. The FSU-LSU showdown in New Orleans. LSU fails to kick an extra point to send it to overtime. Gets blocked by FSU. 24-23, to the final there. It really felt like FSU was going to choke it away, Pierce. Uh, but uh, like I said, LSU at the end of the day just doesn't bounce their way. That being said, if I'm being honest with you, and they had called it uh, correct, and they had called that uh, the the uh, catch inbounds, the clock would have been over before they even had a chance to get the snap off. But hey, maybe that's a little bit of football justice being served there. Ooh, real quick. Yeah. So I was curious about that. They actually did rule him inbounds, but so what? And and I don't know if you know. I don't know if you noticed this because I'm not clear on this rule. I'm more confused after watching it last night than and really you know rewinding it than I was when I first saw it in the moment when he was when they were reviewing it. There was a moment where they looked up to this box where he the the ref on the field was talking to these it, they must have been rules officials, and they were looking at each other dumbfounded like I don't know what to do here like looking around like they needed a a, a, a book to to pull open and read the rules off because the what was in question was um, if the it runoff. was determined that it should be a ten second runoff right and and I think they deemed that because it was called out of bounds first and they were up to the line of scrimmage with that uh with that um you know first down so the clock stopped they were going to give them to the whistle which was which was it so they were going to be ready because it was essentially like coming out of the timeout um so i don't know where it, what the rule is for why it would be deemed a 10 second runoff and why it wasn't in this case i'm not sure um and i don't even think so, the rest were sure so so very interesting thing there yeah so i believe based on you know, I don't know, me piecing stuff together. I believe the runoff would have come from because if he's in bounds, obviously the clock starts, even though it was a first down. So the, the clock would have stopped for a second for them to get the ball set. And then the clock would have started immediately upon the ball being set. Whereas if he's out of bounds, then they get to line up and, and it starts when the ball is, um, you know, what the hell snapped. I was almost said hudded when the ball is hudded. Um, as I'm trying oh, to explain something, I look like an I idiot so when the ball is that. snapped. That's when the clock would start. But because FSU called the timeout in order to get the review out, um, if they hadn't called the timeout and they just had reviewed, I believe then we would have had the runoff 10 second runoff. But regardless, okay. if okay. they eye it in bound, if they call it inbounds, like it was right. And it's hard to see his, his, his knee very, very clearly just grazed the surface, but it did hit. But if they call it down in bounds, then the time's over. But FSU had to call a timeout in order to get a review off. Um, so that's why. But like I said, football gods, because that would have been quite the way to lose the game. Um, but instead, LSU loses it. 
24 to 23. Listen, I think that if you're FSU, you got to temper your excitement a little bit and you got to realize there's a long way to go, obviously, for the Knowles. I said as an overreaction after week zero, maybe they're turning the corner. I still believe that's the case. FSU a few years ago loses that game probably by a lot. And the, the ability to, to face adversity in a tough environment and get it done when they couldn't even do that last year at home versus Notre Dame, if you remember, and they were not able to get it done. And now, and, and this is this is a team that last year lost to an FCS team. A few years ago, almost lost to Samford, another FCS team. So there's might I feel like there's maybe a little bit of a turning of a corner here. There's certainly more belief. Jordan Travis looks good. I'm going to say it right now. Jordan Travis looks good. Um, I thought defensively they looked pretty good. I think that also is an indictment on LSU. I think LSU's got a really long way to go, and I don't think Jaden Daniels is even close to the guy. Now, we'll see. Brian Kelly needs a whole year to develop, get the offseason, try to get his people in. But, I mean, the amount of dunking people were doing on LSU from a standpoint of Brian Kelly going, oh, crap, I made a big mistake. And – the memes coming out of Coach O sitting there in a hot tub full of money going, you guys got rid of me for him. Uh, you know, hey, not a great look. Not a great look for uh, for the Bayou Bengals, especially since it was basically a home game for them. I mean, they were all fired up. It was so many LSU people. There was a fair amount of FSU people too, but, but uh, you know, you're in your backyard there, and uh, it, that sucks. That sucks. And then to have to go out onto Bourbon Street afterwards and – Try to forget what just happened. I'm not sure I could swallow my pride in order to do that. All right, uh, real quickly here so we can wrap up and get on our way. What were your thoughts on this game that we saw last night? Uh, a lot of sloppy play. Um, a lot of it came from LSU. There was still some sloppy play, obviously, from from the Seminoles. I think uh, I think you kind of hit, hit what I – the main takeaway for me, and that was there were points in that game whether they were up seven or 14, where I just went, oh, look at that. They just made a miscue. They're going to lose this game. And I said that four or five or six times. And the last three or four years, they would have lost that game. Was it pretty? No. But they did what they needed to do. They went out there and beat a team that they, they, they ex- I think they expected to beat. They should have beaten, obviously. But, you know, you never know uh, when you've got LSU in Louisiana like that. It's a sketchy, sketchy environment to be in. Uh I, listen, I, I'm 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 a little bit bummed for FSU because I thought that they not this game should have never come down to the last play. I, I really thought that they should have been up 14 to 21 points uh, late in that fourth quarter. They just again just miscues, 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 um, fumbling the ball with a chance to ice it on the goal line on fourth and one. There, I mean, you just cannot do that. Um, I, I gave LSU a chance to go down the field and tie it up. Um, I think biggest takeaway is FSU. Looks like they they look like they had fun. They look like they're all bought in. Um, there was a there was a difference to that team compared to Norvell's previous three seasons. Um, so that's exciting to see. And then on the flip side, I did not expect to see. I knew some people thought Brian Kelly was going to have a good year. I kind of fell victim to a lot of people saying that. I, I, I still had some some. I was still suspect about this team because again, similar to Oregon. They had a mass exodus when their when their coach got fired, and that left the cupboard pretty dry. And they had to bring in a lot of transfers, and that usually doesn't bode well. You have to hit on a high percentage of those those uh, transfers coming in, and it doesn't look like they have. Um, unfortunately, JD, J, J, uh, Jaden Daniels was not even a willing passer. He just looked like the only thing he was comfortable doing was running the ball. And uh, like like I said, it, it seemed like players were. 
it, it was the small things from LSU's side that I didn't expect. The targeting penalty that the defensive lineman got was as egregious of a targeting penalty as I've ever seen. Um, and he turned around after doing that and, and was confused why he's getting kicked out. That should never, ever happen that bad. That's lack of coaching, a lack of uh, um, discipline, and that comes directly from the top. Um, and, and and they made a lot of miscues, too. I mean, this was just not a very – they weren't great at tackling. Um, they, they, it was it, – it, it quite honestly was went probably as poorly as I thought LSU um, uh, could, could play in their first game. And after that, I'm not sure how much better they're going to get. I really don't. They lost their best player last night um, to an ACL injury, and he's a young guy, a big D-line, D D-tackle D guy, Mason Smith out of Louisiana. He jumped up after to celebrate and popped his ACL um, early in the game. That's not good. They, I mean, they had a guy, their, their leading tackler, I believe he was their leading tackler, was a transfer from Georgia. He was never going to see the field for Georgia. So I just don't know where they go from here. Uh, you know, and this is a spot for Brian Kelly where, unlike a lot of programs and, uh, you know, where the cupboard's really dry, this program's not going to wait around for Brian Kelly. I mean, if this goes south from here, he might be gone this year. I think he'll get two years. So, uh, but that greatly that 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 really puts even more pressure on Brian Kelly to turn it around. I think also very indicative was the worst part of their team last night was probably their special teams, and the special teams coach that followed him from Notre Dame was the only coach that followed him from Notre Dame, the only one. I think that's right. very telling. He's a demanding coach, and I get that. They, they sometimes can wear out their welcome, but there's a difference between de- being demanding and being, and being just not liked by your, by not just your coaches, but also your players. The players just, just didn't look I, obviously booty booty. And I hate that they're calling him booty. He said it's uh, booty. It's, I know I've always been calling him booty. Know, and hard. last night, every time they called him booty, I was like, he said, booty. He said my what are we talking booty. about booty? I know. I hate that. Hey, I, hate, I hate changing. You know, I like it to be simple. What I what I've heard, but I think that's that's another big sign of whether it's true or not. The fact that apparently he and and Brian Kelly had a screaming match after the game just shows that these players don't respect him. They they don't like him, and, and it's going to be a tough tough uphill battle. Um, you know, it could be a spot next year where he might have to clean house again with some coaches and some players and hit on those transfer portal guys. And that's tough to do. So it, it, Brian Kelly, I, I, he's got a tough, tough uphill battle. Um, and, and, and whew, I don't see it getting better anytime soon. Yeah. I think correct me if I'm wrong. He didn't want to take anybody from Notre Dame. Like I think he was like kind of a butthole about it, but I could be wrong about that. But it's very telling he to me tried too. To take Tommy Reese. Okay, it's telling to me too. Off the court, to your point, that. that's right. I remember that now. It's very telling that when Notre Dame hired Marcus Freeman, the locker room went crazy. That's a team that goes yep. f yeah, we're out with it. The toxic cancer has been cut out. Now he's a demanding coach, um, but like I said earlier, with Stuart Mandel talking about night, I, I noticed this after he said it. There was no interacting with the players. There was no interacting with coaches on the sidelines. There was no talking on the headset. He looked like he was watching the game happen. And to me, that's not quite a coach. Sounds like he's more of a CEO type, which has been known to win. Um, But I I don't know if these guys who weren't recruited by him really respect that when they had a, you know, 
they had coach, they went from coach O who lives and breathes LSU football. Now he was doing some weird things there, but they went from coach O who just loved on those guys and loved being the coach of Louisiana state to a guy who's going to fake an accent at a press con or press route. Well, and how about this? You could, you could argue, you could argue, well, of course there's not going to be many teams in the country that are, are, you know, excited and all buddy, buddy with their coaches when, you know, they're, they're losing all the time, but he had a lot of success at Notre Dame and you hit on the coaches. The players have come out and, 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 and even recently and just been like, man, this is so much better and enjoyable and this, that, and the other. Now, I think that's kind of a little ridiculous because sometimes, you know, if you're out there just la di da di da having fun and enjoying it, you're not out there to try to win and to, to beat ass. Um, especially if your goal is to win a national championship. But I saw something last night. I don't know if you saw former Notre Dame offensive lineman, Dylan Gibbons, who used to play for Notre Dame and Brian Kelly transferred to FSU this season. And he tweeted, tweeted out after the game, no fake accents on this team with uh, a picture in the locker room. Yeah. And it's like, I've seen a lot of that recently and it's very clear that he he's just not a very warm, likable guy, um, even amongst his own teammates. And that's a problem because he hasn't shown he's shown he can get a program there, mm-hmm. but he's never shown that he can win it. Mm-hmm. And it's tough for those coaches to, to they wear out their welcomes very quickly, because if, if if you can't even get us there, we know you have trouble winning it. If you can't even get us there, we're not they're not going to let you stick around. Yep, You're not wrong. All right. Well, there you go. That is almost an hour and a half of a recap there for your Woo! week one. We obviously are excited. And we didn't even cover the last game. We didn't even cover the last game. We'll give you that when our preview episode comes out, which will be just in a few days. Uh, if you have not signed up for the pick and pool, it's not too late to do so. You won't have picks for week one, but it's you're still able to potentially uh, win the pool. So really quickly hit us with the braggers of the week. Yeah, I'm going to keep it short and sweet this week. Uh, a lot of games between teams that are, um, you know, expected to have blowout performances. So keeping those off the list as best as possible or as much as possible. So braggers of the week, first and foremost, we hit on it. Stetson Bennett, QB Georgia, 25 of 31 for 368 yards, two TDs, one rushing TD, just total command of this offense and and um, had probably the first Heisman performance of the season. Um, for anybody looking to win the Heisman this year. Uh, secondly, Anthony Richardson, QB Florida, he had a couple Heisman moments, 17 and 24 for 168 through the air. Not all that great, but didn't make any mistakes. 11 rushes for 106 and three touchdowns. That's where he is most dangerous for Florida as they get the upset over Utah. Uh, thirdly, USC defense. How about this one? USC's defense for a team that that had a lot of transfers, a lot of question marks. You knew the offense was probably going to be good. The big question mark was uh, uh, the defense. And Lincoln Riley has typically not had great defenses. Certainly it wasn't against elite competition, but three and a half sacks from that D, three interceptions, all three of which were returned for touchdowns. That's an important thing moving forward, hopefully to get that defense confident um, and see what they can do against some better foes. Uh, Will Rogers, QB from Mississippi State. Golly, this guy is kind of like a la Tyler Van Dyke. I hit on this dude just churns out numbers each week. 38 of 49 for 450 yards through the air and five TDs. Uh, I don't know what you think of this guy, but he might be one of my favorite players in the country now. I saw him last night for the first time. I think he goes by like Ontario or on. He goes his first name starts with an O, but every time they called him last night, they called him Pokey. Pokey Wilson, maybe my favorite name in college football, wide receiver from FSU, seven catches for 102 yards and two TDs, including a great over-the-shoulder catch, really was the weapon 
for Jordan Travis all night and the one that was consistently getting separation uh, as the Knowles go on to beat the Tigers. Tanner Mordecai, QBSMU, uh, stuck around after their coach departed for their bitter rival. They will face in a couple weeks. Uh, he went 23 of 32 for 432 yards and four TDs. Jacob Cowing, wide receiver, Arizona, eight catches for 152 and three TDs. I almost threw Jaden DeLore in here, the quarterback for Arizona, um, but I, they had a couple receivers that did some great things as Arizona really surprised me going to San Diego State and just putting a whooping on them. Um, maybe this team is a little better than the pundits thought going into the season. And last but not least, it'll probably be the only time I say this guy's name, so I wanted to get him on here. Michael Penix Jr., transfer from Indiana, now at QB at Washington. 26 of 39 for 345 yards through the air, four TDs, and 27 rushing yards. Those are my braggers of week one. Many more to come. Many more to come. All right, real quickly, like I said, make sure you join the Pick'em Pod if you haven't already. Not too late to do so. Uh, free to join, so you might as well just see how you would do each week. Follow us on social media at Bragging Pod. That's bragging without the second G. Bragging, B-R-A-G-G-I-N, pod. Uh, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. Make sure you're subscribed wherever you're listening to this podcast. Currently, rate us, review us, send it to a friend, help us grow the show. We'll be back in just a few days with our week two preview. But until then, I'm Madison. And I'm Pierce. Stay blessed, y'all.